Presenting the film now uh, in London, no? Who is Afraid of Ideology, part four. Yeah. Uh, and you change a bit the display. Like now, the text that was in Documenta in the space, now they were on billboards or they were like on the public uh, yeah. here. Uh, yeah. Would you mind just? Talking maybe you know maybe we start to introduce the video the film and the project it's mm -hmm. very big uh, it has many elements but like maybe if you if we start by this yeah uh, coming from the last thing that has happened and the differences from Documenta in the in yeah. terms of the display mm -hmm. um, yeah so exactly um, so it was now presented at the Mosaic Rooms in London. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, together with other uh, works, uh, but yes, so it was like a uh, the way it was displayed uh, in Documenta is that these banners uh, that are actually like a chart for the usership of the land that we are now communalizing um, are like part of a chart actually, not the the whole chart. But they work as kind of like a um, principles, if you like, or like principles of usership uh, that are going to be annexed to the legal document uh, and will become, uh, will have a, a kind of a, um, a legal um, um, sort of like a importance when the land is uh, communalized. Uh, so the decision to present them on uh, billboards came a little bit also um, out of, you know, like interest to put them out in the public space, but uh, at the same time also like different circumstances. So, um, yeah, like usually they present, you know, like a um, posters on, on billboards or um, posters of the exhibition to promote the exhibition. Uh, so th then the, the proposal of instead of, you know, promoting the exhibition with the poster of the exhibition, uh, let's, uh, yeah, like use these banners, basically, like this chart and put it out there in the public. Uh, and we actually selected the three of the principles. So we're focusing on the uh, right of usership. Um, and so, so the whole idea is to put to the forefront the right of usership instead of ownership. Uh, and so we focused uh, on that in, uh, uh, in the banners that were displayed in the public space. Um, and the question of inheritance as well. So one of the principles is that the land will not be uh, inherited. Basically, the land cannot be passed on. Um, so in that way, we block the kind of a uh, commodification of the land and its uh, exchangeability um, and therefore also its transmission. Uh, so, yeah, so this is like a, um, this was the, a little bit the, the idea to take them outside of the space into the, or like the gallery space into the, the public space. 
and uh, yeah, focusing on this question of usership. So yeah, just to like also think of what happens if you know like that usership or like this focus uh, on usership is you know like a projected in the public space, and so when you know you're passing by, uh, you see it there like uh, and the way it's written that uh, land uh, shall only be used by people who do not own a land uh, land shall not be inherited uh, and um, another one was also so land shall not be inherited La land shall only be used by people who do not own a land and uh, the third one was um, oh I forgot <laughs> So the third one is um, also on on the usership. Okay, let me check. Second. Oh yes, the land shall not be inherited. So okay. did I say that? The land yeah. shall not be inherited. The land shall only be um, used by people who do not own a land. Yeah. Um, and the land shall only be passed on for usership. So these three. So, yeah. So basically like usership. Um, yeah. So the usership of the land and only can only be passed on for usership and shall not be inherited in terms of like ownership. So, yeah. So this whole like a uh, flip, if you like, of like putting forward the... Um, the idea of, of uh, or like the practice of, of usership that actually existed, um, you know, like a um, less than 150 years ago, it was the only relationship uh, to land uh, in that region. Uh, and there we're talking about like a history under like a um, Ottoman, uh, during like the Ottoman Empire, and we're talking about that Ottoman space, basically. Um, and that is still quite, um, you know, like uh, vivid in people's collective memory, although, you know, people were not living during, I mean, most people um, do not remember it as an experience, as a, like a yeah, personal experience, but it is still a vivid collective, you know, a memory that, uh, uh, that land was, uh, or that the relationship to land was, a relationship to usership um, and so uh, so going back to that moment and to that specific relationship to the land um, we actually wanted to bring it back and uh, also like bring back or like dig back a uh, the legality uh, that allows it so like all the legal forms and the laws um, and the gaps in the laws that could uh, allow this to come back, that form of relationship. So that usership, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, and in that sense, I think the whole work is uh, about that. So like the whole work that was uh, presented in, in Documenta is really about that, like trying to flip uh, this relationship uh, back into the uh, yeah like a usership instead of ownership.
I was just going to to say that for those who are listening and couldn't see the work at Document Hour in London, if you could be uh, okay with sharing uh, the stuff that you did in the land, right? So the yeah. activities that you were doing there. And yeah. another, and connecting to this question is the money that you got from Documenta, the one that you use in order to buy this piece of land? Uh... Yeah, exactly. So uh, we couldn't buy the land, actually, uh, because uh, it's uh, quite quite expensive uh, uh, to buy it. Uh, so, I mean, it's not so expensive. It's not such a valuable land, but the money from Documenta is not sufficient uh, to buy it. Um, but so, yeah, before maybe going into like this uh, economy, maybe just to give a little bit of uh, context to um, the people who are listening. So uh, basically what we've been like, what we I have been uh, describing now is a chart for the usership uh, of the land that we put together uh, with the uh, collaborator, the different uh, collaborators on this project. And one of them is an agricultural uh, cooperative uh, in Lebanon that is called uh, Soils. Uh, and uh, uh, also like a lawyer, Maya Dreidi, that uh, did like a legal research on how to communalize the land. Uh, and the historian, uh, Wissam Saade, who uh, went back into like the history of uh, the land codes and uh, also like a, uh, um, the history of private property during the Ottoman uh, Empire. Uh, and so like a, uh, together with them, we um, and of course, like there is the aspect of the, the film and the all the people that uh, worked uh, on the film that I would also like consider a kind of a protagonist in the in this process. Uh, and I, I can explain how as well. Um, and also uh, the geologist from the American University of uh, Beirut, Joanna Damour as well, had a great input into the history, geological history of that um, land and the region, actually. Um, so like together uh, with them, we um, thought about uh, like from these different perspectives and uh, fields of knowledge uh, on, uh, we thought about the question of, uh, yeah, like the deprivatization of the land or its communalization. Uh, the land itself is owned by different uh, owners. So um, it's small plots of land that were actually rented out uh, to a person who was querying it. So like extracting uh, rocks for many, many years, many decades. So um, it was queried for like about 45 or 50 uh, years. So the, the situation and the conditions of the, of the land now are quite damaged. It's not in a very good shape. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, what is um, quite interesting is that like this negotiation uh, process to, uh, you know, like a propose to, to the owners to communalize the land is, was not very difficult because uh, the land itself is not 
the land itself is not very um, uh, yeah you can't really do a lot with it because of the because of the way it is it's damaged and because of the fact that it's plotted in small you know um, plots basically it's divided in small uh, plots um, and therefore um, it, it was my initiative to um, negotiate that uh, process uh, because also um, my father comes from a village that is not very far from that land and in a way I uh, I also wanted to start an experiment uh, like this uh, in a place where that I know and that um, yeah, like people will kind of like a, uh, welcome me because they they in their perception I am you know from there or something. Um, and so yeah, and so the it was not so difficult to uh, get people's. Um, consent on this uh, uh, on this process um, and then we started you know doing like going into like the different histories of uh, land usership and started thinking about ways of you know like transforming this land from uh, the like the um, this different uh, small private properties that um, it is now or the the status that's the private the status of private land that it has now and into a uh, what is called masha in arabic which is which actually means like literally can be translated into a um, accessible so uh, it's not uh, quite uh, common but it has like a very similar status uh, than the common um, and actually each village um, in Lebanon still has its masha, so it's, it still has a, a land that um, is kind of a, um, used by everyone uh, and does not belong to anyone. Uh, so it's not private and it's not uh, public and it's usually like a managed by um, the villagers themselves. And they use it for, you know, like a, um, also like traditionally it has been used for like a um, harvesting season, uh, putting the crops or like the harvest in the, on the land. Also for uh, animals, um, you know, like um, to just, um, how do you say, like a um, spend, <laughs> spend the day and, uh, and you know, like a... Uh, um, it's a space where animals actually, um, that is used by uh, uh, animals. It's a passage between places, uh, between different lands, um, etc. So traditionally, it is um, yeah, like a um, managed by by the villagers themselves, and you know according to their needs. Uh, and so this is the. Um, yeah, the 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 uh, the concept of of uh, masha or this a uh, kind of like a uh, uh, if if you like a um, common, but it is really beyond any property, any status of property, or it is really a non-property. It cannot be um, you know like a it cannot become a neither public nor nor private. So it's in that space. And um, of course, like all land in the Ottoman space was masha. There was no like, you know, land that was actually 
property. Um, and in that sense, it's a, it's a very interesting gay, um, category. So that, uh, um, and of course, like a, um, um, the, I mean, that was like one direction we could we could have taken, like transforming the land into a uh, masha. Another direction uh, would be and is maybe like a more um, a, sa a safer one would be uh, to um, explore the possibilities of transforming th the land into a wakf, uh, which is like a um, freezed freezing the land. So wakf means literally a, a to uh, to halt. Uh, and uh, to halt means that uh, you kind of like a halt a, a, a property or a land or an estate uh, for over a hundred for like a, um, uh, under 199 years. Legally, this is what you can do. You can halt an estate. Uh, and by halting the estate, it's not exchangeable anymore and it's not transmittable um, anymore. Um, and this is a, a religious uh, um, uh, concept, actually, and the religious, uh, uh, the status of religious um, uh, property. So every property that uh, is owned by the clergy is waqf. It's halted by the church, halted by the uh, Islamic clergy, uh, you know, so it's... Uh, basically a used by these um, religious institutions uh, but there is a, another category that is a um, social wakf which is uh, actually like a um, used by a kind of a uh, um, charities or um, organizations that uh, want to like you know uh, stop um, or like make a, a kind of a secure um, something for for the organization um, and don't want it to be so, sold etc so that's also like a uh, a, a category a social worker so it was either like we would transform the land into a masha uh, a an accessible land uh, therefore uh, a common or into a wakf a halt, or halt the land, basically stop it, freeze it. Um, and at the end of the day, we realized that it was much safer to do that, to transform it into a wakf, uh, a social wakf, because in the case of Masha, there is a chance that the municipality can become its custodian. Uh, and of course, like we don't, we don't trust any kind of governance or governance, small, even like local, small, you know, uh, municipality governments. Um, we, it, they're not like really uh, uh, trust, tr trustworthy in, in Lebanon. I mean, um, yeah, they're extremely corrupt, etc. So, um, so yeah, so we thought that it would be safer for the for the, the land to become a, uh, a, a wakf, a social wakf. And this is like really over, you know, 99 years, which is, um, you know, very, very, very good already. Um, and then um, the, the idea was to uh, give the land to the uh, families that live uh, right next to it, so ar around it. 
uh, and there is like five families that that live there uh, and they came in 2013 from um, um, from Aleppo and uh, Idlib uh, and settled uh, settled there in a few like uh, houses um, and so the discussion with them was of course if they would be interested to take over the the maintenance of the land and self-organize uh, to you know like a um, um, to think about a way of dealing with the produce, uh, distributing it, you know, according to needs, etc. Um, and sell uh, what also is um, of surplus. So yeah, so this was like a, uh, this is like just to give a little bit of context to, uh, to the project and also like to, um, uh, yeah, the way we were thinking about like detouring, deterring, yeah, like making a detour um in in order to um yeah like to to find uh, the right uh, gap and the right uh, um like legal um, yeah like a legal gap in order to um transform transform the land but also um in order to really rethink that question of property uh, from its core so it was like a, a way, um, yeah, like to circle around that question of property uh, through its legalities, but also through like other, um, you know, like a, um, um, it's almost as if we needed the, you know, like the more geological um, knowledge and the more uh, also like a, yeah, uh, the historical um, sort of uh, knowledge as well as you know the um, other more like uh, um, if we can call it um, artistic uh, knowledge as well uh, in order to make a legal case as well like in order to um, support our um, legal legal uh, case and that was a really um, interesting uh, process um yeah so um and then documenta was a little bit like the excuse or like the the good um if you like a yeah like the good moment uh also like because of the finances uh and because of like the financial uh yeah support that uh, that you get um in order to do that so um, it would be like the, the money would be would be sufficient uh, in order to do that. It wouldn't be sufficient to buy a land. Uh, and uh, although like the legalization or like the communalization or the legal process is coming to take a little bit more time, but the rehabilitation um, has already uh, started and we will plant the crops in December. So that's the season to, to plant the, the crops. So we will... Uh, this December, this coming December, we will actually plant the crops, and so that money was used for, like, part of the money of Documenta was used for the rehabilitation and the planting of the, of the crops. That's, uh, that's fascinating because it's difficult to get, um, yeah, from the film, it's difficult to understand the complexity of the layers, and uh, uh, and, and now it's very clear that the project is much richer and much more ambitious than, than what it seems in the film. 
even though you have the hints with the text uh, that you mentioned. And I presume this project comes from your previous uh, film, no? When you went to visit this separatist uh, group of Kurdish uh, women in north of Syria at the border with Turkey, right? That's is it like a kind of uh, was it a, a source of inspiration or is it a kind of continuation? Yeah, totally. So um, basically, I think that since 2017, because I have been working closely with uh, communes and cooperatives and, you know, like different uh, organizations. Uh, and since then, like even maybe a, a little bit before, so 2016, I think I, it's as if like I've been trying to find a... Um, Uh, um, I think I have been it was it has been like a learning process because I have been like trying to think about what it means to create a kind of a um, um, autonomous self-sufficient uh, economy uh, related to um, like a reappropriation of land and related to an agricultural practice and also related to uh, kind of questioning like a, yeah, um, the, 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 the notion of property and how we can actually flip it around. So I think that I have been like trying to find a, uh, a way and now I start to understand that it's also, that is why, that is the reason why I, you know, started to... Um, started by inviting uh, members of the uh, Kurdish Autonomous Women's Movement to Beirut in 2016, that was. Um, and um, we did a kind of a reading group uh, back then. Um, um, it was, there were, we still had the 98 weeks, um, uh, Martin, you remember 98 weeks. Uh, and so uh, we had a, a reading group uh, back then where we they, they translated a text by a um, guerrilla woman, uh, Pelshin Tolidan, uh, that um, was writing from her like a uh, daily um, experiences and her life in the mountains. Uh, she was developing a kind of like a uh, ecological and feminist paradigm of uh, living. So living with the, with the landscape. And the text is really about that, but it really comes from her very like a, a, a personal um, experience as a guerrilla woman living in the in the mountains. Uh, and then she, you know, starts to talk about that relationship to to the landscape, uh, you know, that is, you know, of course, like a landscape uh, or like a a. a um, a territory uh, that is in a war zone and it's like a, a space of uh, total, you know, uh, conflict. Uh, but at the same time, uh, trying to, um, um, yeah, like explain that the reason why she's actually fighting is for the transmission of the knowledge that she has for this landscape. So it was, it is a very interesting uh, yeah, Um, contradiction that she puts there that's how to actually develop an ecological paradigm in this war uh, situation uh, and actually the war situation is really coming out this resistance of hers is really coming out of this de desire to transmit her 
very uh, intimate knowledge of that landscape. Um, and so it's, a, it's really an interesting text. And we had read it in, in Beirut um, uh, together with Meral Shishek and uh, Dilar Dirik. Uh, that uh, from the Kurdish Autonomous Women's Movement that were, uh, you know, invited uh, back then to 1980s. And, uh, yeah, and then they they had invited me back to go to um, visit Pelshin and to visit them in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. So uh, uh, in near to near uh, Suleymaniye, um, one of the like the big cities in Iraqi Kurdistan, um, and uh, in the mountains, so in the Kandil, uh, Kandil Mountains, where, is, where the, it is like really the headquarters of uh, the guerrilla. Um, and so, yeah, I visited them there. And during this visit, I kind of like met many members and had um, almost like a learning, uh, a learning uh, sessions with them, you no, know? an educational an educational. Um, educational uh, sessions about like their, you know, uh, the way their um, ecological and feminist paradigms are built. That was mostly what I was interested uh, in back then. Um, the questions of, you know, like a, uh, how they function uh, in the mountains. Um, also, like, of course, there is a lot of military uh, knowledge that is there that uh, conducts or like a uh, conditions the way they uh, they function um and uh, yeah and actually like a lot of military strategies like a lot of guerrilla uh, uh, military strategies um and so yeah and so we um really like a um went into these discussions for and this was like the the moment they said oh Maybe you should make a film. So the the films part one and part two are almost like a um, commissioned by 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 them. Um, I mean, they didn't really commission it. It's not like a you know, uh, it's not like when an institution commissions or something. But it's more like a uh, an an invitation, you know. And then they propose that I go to uh, the Jinwar. Uh, what you mentioned, the women-only uh, village in uh, um, near Serkaniye in uh, the north of Syria, on the border with uh, with Turkey. So, like seven kilometers in um, was the border of was the Turkish border. Um, so yeah, so um, I guess like this was uh, really the uh, the moment where um, I really started like looking for this um, kind of like a uh, form, like in another form of um, actually uh, living that is outside of a uh, only like a theoretical, uh, theoretical frame, uh, but also like how the feminist politics are practiced and how these kind of a ecological feminist politics are practiced on uh, in, in the um, yeah, whether with the guerrillas or with the uh, women-only village in uh, in Rojava in the north of Syria. So, and it it was really um, very also like a interesting the form of it, what form it takes, right? So also like the village, the architecture of the village, the way you know that it, the way it's like a uh, you know circular architecture. 
um, all of that, like the communal, uh, the communal um, uh, area is really at the center. The common kitchen is at the center of the of the village. The schools are in this kind of like a circular, um, yeah, like a uh, mud houses. So the houses are, are like a uh, um, yeah built with these kind of like a uh, mud material that is actually mixed with concrete. Um, yeah, so the whole like architecture and the production of the houses and the material that is used and all of that was really fascinating that what they were trying to uh, to do like what form um, they were yeah like uh, trying to, to to give it um also like the women's academy that is in the uh, in uh, Genoa, the women only village um yeah so it was like a um I think it was like a, a completely like a, uh, it created a, a kind of a rupture with a kind, with a kind of fe feminism that I was more involved in in Beirut. Uh, that is mostly was dominated by a lot of um, NGO organizations. Uh, and that a lot of people started to fight against and, you know, since like, I don't know, 2000 and eight or ten something like that that it was becoming like a hegemonic you know kind of a liberal feminist uh, you know uh, um, discourse um, and I think that going to um, yeah like visiting the Iraqi Kurdistan and northern uh, Syria was really like a, uh, a rupture also like on a uh, you know like a paradigmatic uh, rupture and shift in um, in relation to like feminist discourses and feminist practices and you know like a politics of how how feminist politics are also practiced applied all of that um, yeah i think this this is like a um, um, and then in 2019 I uh, organized uh, during the Warsaw uh, Biennial a convention of women farmers and ecological feminists. And here many different like cooperatives and organizations and communes that I have been like in touch with came together. The uh, Autonomous Women's Movement, the Kurdish Autonomous Women's Movement was one of them, of course. But there was also like a, um, a, co a cooperative, like a representatives of co-op in, in, um, from the, from Chapas. Uh, so in, related to, you know, like the Zapatista, but um, like not, you know, from the movement directly, but they were working with them. Um, and uh, um, also like a Grupo Semillas from uh, south of Tolima in Colombia, uh, which is in, um, I mean, they are in Bogota, but they work with like different um, farmers uh, in the Norte del Cauca and in south of Tolima. So they're like a, working with different uh, seed guardians. So um, women, farmers, uh, campesinas or um, indigenas as well that are, uh, you, like a um, a uh, reappropriating land through seed strategy, so through like a um, a uh, kind of a uh, replanting of um, their um, yeah like creole creole seeds. 
um and so like the there there is a lot of a um um appropriation through actually cultivation like cultivating land reappropriating it and um yeah like a uh, um re really through these like a seed i mean it's not seed preservation at all at, uh, at the contrary there's no like bank it's not like about forming a bank or like you know accumulating more seeds or more like Yeah, by planting them and uh, letting the seeds also like um, kind of reproduce. Um, so yeah, and and also like different um, farms in Brandenburg and also in Poland. So it, it was quite a, a a big meeting, if you like, a, um, uh, in terms of um, not like only like numbers or anything, but it was like very. Um, Uh, in terms of like the different uh, strategies that everyone was using to uh, deprivatize or, or communalize so um, so yeah and then in um, and then i was uh, again invited by grupo semillas to to go to uh, to colombia and visit uh, um, yeah like a, uh, the different uh, farms in no norte del cauca and south of tolima um, and they were like um, Also, like, I mean, in discussion with them, we decided to do, to do like, part three of, uh, of the films. Uh, and it's really, you know, related to the seed guardians, to, like, a uh, seed guardians that had also, like, that were part of the conventions. Um, and it was a really nice meeting because, you know, all these different uh, organizations that are really working in the same direction, Uh, in different geographies and in completely different uh, strategies, different conditions, but really working in the same, you know, um, direction at the end. So, uh, so yeah, so it was like quite uh, also like for them, for example, like the Kurdish Autonomous Women's Movement are very discursive in the sense that they get an education, like a party uh, education. So they're very knowledgeable on like feminist discourses and, the way they present themselves is really like a, um, you know, they present themselves as feminist. Uh, you know, they have like all the kind of a discursive tools for that as they really go through this uh, education. Um, whereas like, uh, for example, if uh, with the um, Grupo Semillas, they, not, they don't necessarily, you know, have the discourse, but they, the way they talk, they are very like also... Um, you know, they really um, emphasize the fact that they are, you know, women, farmers, etc. So I think that it's different kind of a, um, um, yeah, like a way of articulating it, but it was really, you know, going in a similar um, pol political direction. Um, and they were really glad to, uh, to meet, to, to sort of like a... Uh, And see that this is, you know, like um, we we had also like some closed workshops where they were exchanging skills and knowledge uh, around like uh, and strategies around like seeds and uh, you know like different um, so um, yeah herbal medicine and things like that. Um, so yeah, so this is this was like also a an important kind of a. Um, uh, Yeah, like a stage, if you like, in the in the process. 
Um, and then we did like another convention, a, a second one. And this was right before the, the pandemic, actually. Um, and we planned to do a third one where we like everyone meets again. But of course, like pandemic happened and uh, we um, canceled and um, yeah. And then uh, when uh, I was contacted by uh, Ruan Grupa and uh, the artistic team of uh, Documenta, um, I suggested to do a uh, another convention actually at the beginning. That was that that was really like what I wanted to like. I thought maybe we can do like a even maybe like a bigger convention, including more people, um, etc. But then I thought that this would be quite a cruel and harsh environment for a convention. What was nice about the previous convention <laughs> conventions. Um, and this before all the, you know, uh, accusations started. And, but I think that there was like a, uh, a, a good instinct, <laughs> instinct there. But just like the scale of the event, you know, like the scale of the event is too big. And I mean, in the previous conventions, it was very like a uh, uh, focused on the convention. So, for example, the Warsaw Biennial, they had a uh, every weekend one project. Uh, and so we had like four days, basically only focused on the convention. And so, so it was another completely different environment that really allows a lot of, you know, care and focus and uh, etc. And in the uh, documenta, I thought like the scale is huge. It's not going to happen. You know, it's uh, um, also like their, you know, hospitality is horrible. Like, I mean, we can go there uh, if, if you like, but the way this institution works is really uh, quite, uh, yeah, revealing to the state of maybe what, uh, what, what Germany is today. I don't know. It's like a, quite revealing, actually. Um, and yeah, and so like, and this is when um, I proposed to maybe, um, because I was already working with, um, you know, the other people on the uh, land in, in Lebanon. Uh, so I was, um, this is when I proposed to actually, um, yeah, maybe continue doing this. Um, I was a little bit worried about, you know, because they say like the money should, they, they say it uh, often, like a lot of the money, like most of the money should be spent in castle, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then, no, like the artistic team really pushed in that direction. And uh, and yeah, and so I think like all of this led to the project in Lebanon. So um, it's like a, uh, yeah, it's kind of a uh, quite a connected, if you like, or yeah. May I ask something before maybe we can talk a little bit more about the details of Documenta? Because you emphasize um, this dichotomy between certain tropes of um, uh, feminism understood from the urban liberal context and the feminism that you have found in rural areas in connection with agriculture and other forms of living. So I think it would be nice if you could share some insights that I guess they 
must be really revealing about what's the difference. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think this was like a uh, quite a. Um, I think actually what I was running away from was not only like a kind of urbanity into a um, you know like a rural uh, place. I mean I don't have at all this kind of a uh, uh, you know escapist uh, romantic uh, idea. But I think um, uh, you, what you're saying is um, very like a uh, to the point because. I think what I was running away from is a kind of a feminism that is born in uh, institutions in in the city to a, a practice that uh, actually is uh, yeah like a proposing a completely different way of living. I, I think that this is what I have been like a uh, trying to uh, to think about like all all this time. Um, and in fact, like just like to give you a very um, uh, uh, like a brief idea on um, you know like the situation in Beirut and the kind of a uh, so since like the reconstruction of the city after the civil war in the 90s, um, there there has been like a, a complete um, of course like a uh, dismantling of all kinds of unions, uh, syndicates, uh, you know, like a, uh, uh, but a very like systematic uh, uh, one. Um, and a very wild, fierce, neoliberal situation that, um, you know, you couldn't like really navigate the place if you weren't part of it. And a lot of people that were actually, you know, part of, um, I don't know, like a leftist parties or uh, a more radical feminist organizations uh, before in the 70s and even during the war in the 80s had to follow this. So they had to like change camps, if you like, not because of conviction, but because of survival. That was like the only way to survive in, the, in such like a harsh uh, economical situation in, in, uh, in that place. And I think what happened is that while you, you know, do this shift, there was also like a lot of, so that was like one um, economy that was happening and it was really coming from a, um, yeah, like mostly uh, real estate uh, bubbles and banks uh, and, uh, you know, like completely collapsed now. But this is what was, you know, uh, this was like the, um, the, the kind of like a, uh, uh, topography of it and on the other hand you had like a lot of uh, international funding uh, that was poured into into the city and uh, into like a um, non-for-profit uh, organizations uh, so these were like the two source the two economies that were that were there you had to ride either of them and um, I think what happened with like the international funding, it all often comes with a certain agenda, of course. Um, and at that time, it was really a, an agenda of um, institutional building in the Middle East. So like really uh, trying to, uh, you know, like a enforce certain uh, certain like a uh, liberal discourse, uh, whether like in you know, in general, in like a, a human rights liberal uh, liberal discourse, trying to really you know empower it and enforce it through enforce it through these 
uh, NGOs. So like that was like the NGO complex, if you like, that, that they were producing the, they ended up being the hegemonic, uh, producing the hegemonic discourse on uh, feminist uh, issues and of course, like on other issues, but this is like what was happening there. And um, at the same time, um, I think that most of the people who were like a, um, you know, like trying to counter this were completely left. It became like a minority, completely like crushed uh, minority. Um, so, yeah, so this is a little bit the situation. So when you we, when we arrive in the um, like early 2000, this is really, you know, um, very rooted, very strong, uh, very like a well, you know, functioning and all of that um, and in fact Beirut I think was used as a place I mean the money was not only poured in Beirut but it, it's very easy to um, pour money in Beirut on, uh, in Lebanon in general unlike for example in, in Egypt that is much more like a uh, uh, tight in terms of like uh, you know um, NGOs or like if they want to uh, kind of uh, register an NGO, it's not really possible. If they want to like get funding, it's not. It's quite difficult. It's very controlled in terms of flow of money and uh, international funds. Uh, Lebanon is like a complete free market. It's wild. It's really, really wild. It's a, a little bit like the uh, airport for Syria and uh, you know uh, other places in the region. So it's really, really uh, you know an open, free, wild market. Uh, and so um, I think that they really like used it as a place that could that where they could actually you know like and historically it has been like this it's not only uh, in the 90s or um, and I think a lot of um, cultural places played a critical role towards this kind of a you know like a NGO sort of uh, discourses they really played a critical role but actually um, not like in terms I mean yeah maybe this is like too much to go there but they it was still like the only maybe like a kind of a critical places were um, you know you could find them in these you know cultural uh, grassroots um, institutions um, so I think that um, after like 2015, something was collapsing already. The collapse had started of this whole, you know, like a, a liberal economy. Um, I mean, it, in 2019, the banks collapsed and everything actually collapsed. So <laughs> that was like four years before in 2015. Um, there was uh, back then like a, the, a trash crisis. So you could like walk and like you you were like you know going around in the city and you could see the trash everywhere. They couldn't anymore like a uh, um, was I mean it's quite um, complicated. I I will not go there, but that moment I think was a very like a uh, um, that was really predicting predicting the collapse the collapse to come. And I think that in 2015, with this collapse, it allowed for a more for more radical voices to really come out. Um, and during the tra uh, the crash, uh, sorry, the trash crisis, um, 
there was a lot of protests and back then together with you know uh, 98 weeks and different organization we had formed the feminist block and really like a, a more kind of a uh, radical feminist discourse was um, heard starting to be to be heard um and i think like and um, i mean end of this was end of 2015 2016 already what was happening in rojava and of course like what was happening in syria and especially what was happening in And Rojava started being like really, you know, um, also uh, um, in the news, heard of, etc. And I think that this was a moment where um, things really, it it was like the chance for things to to shift. Really like in terms of um, breaking that hegemony of a, uh, uh, you know, like a liberal feminist, basically. That were re- that were only wanting to focus on uh, questions of right, which is you know very necessary, but uh, that was like you know the the dominant thing, um, and I think that um, so th- this is a little bit like the urban situation in Beirut, like the 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 landscape, you know, trash is everywhere. It's really like collapsing. Uh, the, there is no uh, means to actually like pick up that uh, trash. What they do is they dump it on the coast because later on they will use it to, you know, extend land. So it becomes really like material that is used in land extension and just like making more land and more value, etc. So this is like the the situation in this like completely failed, you know, wildly neoliberal uh, state. And on the other hand, you have a extremely well organized, um, really uh, like a uh, mind blowing uh, autonomous women's movement uh, that is say proposing an ecological and feminist paradigm. Um, and it's really coming from a, I mean, it's co- it's completely different struggle, of course, but it's also so connected. So, I mean, it, this, this was also like the, the discussion back then. It's that uh, like we really need with the, with other feminist organizations, we really need to connect with the autonomous women's movement, with like, with the Kurdish autonomous women's movement. Um, and there was a lot of like a, um, yeah, like, um, how to say, like, a, um, not tension, but more like a, a sort of a, um, um, a refusal or skepticism uh, about it. Um, yeah, because I think hmm? in Beirut, yeah, exactly, in Beirut. And yeah. And maybe this is like a um, the moment where we r- really had to um, yeah like escape that uh, urban feminism that actually was in the middle of an ecological crisis as well and catastrophe, but were, was unwilling to think beyond questions of you know like right or like women's right or I don't know like um, so. So I think that there is like there was like a an immediate escape from that, um, if you like, urban 
<laughs> urban feminism or like a urban collapsed feminism because of you know like a collapse of a whole economy a collapse of um yeah like a whole um yeah they can basically like this whole economy yeah i don't know that this is maybe like a a very brief um, um description of the situation uh back then um and why there was a necessity to uh really like you know run away from that urbanity that is was like a sinking in in trash actually um and yeah and find a uh, yeah like another kind of a um, a i don't know like a, a, another like yeah place that is you know outside that urbanity or before we get into document i just wanted to ask you about the title who is afraid of ideology and how do you understand ideology because it's a word that yeah you know in some ways yeah outdated in other ways is everywhere you know it's like i don't know it's a it's a complex complex concept but uh it's a very powerful title that i would love you to kind yeah. of explain where it comes from and the role of ideology I think it comes from this like fight exactly with the liberal feminists <laughs> because I I think that it really like uh, in my head it was like okay this is the the, the next like a uh, battle or <laughs> or like a um, yeah like the the next front actually because the that refusal of ideology because I mean this was also like one of the excuses of a lot of feminists in Lebanon that didn't want to connect with the autonomous women's movement because they are like they were like accusing them of being too ideological and and you know when you're sitting in a uh, NGO complex and you're producing these kinds of discourses it's weird that you're not like really aware of the fact that you're in the middle of ideology and you know i mean it's not like you're ever outside of it or you know like you're the, but the fact that you think that you are outside of ideology and really not you know ideologized or ideological is the core of liberal ideology you know it's like really you are in the, in the middle of this kind of uh, um ngo uh, discourses producing their you know so their their politics And I think that this this title really comes from that that uh, yeah like a uh, a response a, a really a response to that a uh, um, yeah like a uh, argument um, we were having <laughs> together with uh, we were having with the um, yeah like a um, I mean, I don't like to call them liberal feminists because it's very reductive. It's like as if they're one thing. And, but yeah, like this um, was this like camp of, uh, you know, that we're accusing. Um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, anything that had to do with like political parties or. Um, and, but maybe this is like a very 90s reaction no? and it's inherited from from the ninth from like a 90s uh, defeat and people who were actually in political parties and were like very you know defeated um, and had to you know do something else or like 
Um, and I think that these people were mostly afraid of, of ideology. And that has, you know, dragged, you know, lo more like a, uh, it has influenced more, it, ha it has influenced like uh, the discourse or an ideology. And yeah, the moment like in the 90s when we were like all in a non-ideological world, um, I think like a lot of people grew up in, the, in this kind of uh, idea of like, you know, ideology is bad, etc. Um, but yeah, you don't realize you're sitting in the middle of it and then you're preaching for non-ideology and it, it's already like a very ideologi ideologized uh, yeah, thing. So, so who's afraid of ideology really comes from that. It's a response to that. Yeah, I, I guess. But I was I was more angry back then. Now I'm I'm less angry. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think because um, I guess it has to do with a, a kind of defense of the of liberal individualism, as if you can, you know, counter or or afraid of the ideology actually uh, suppressing uh, that liberal. Uh, freedom that you know like as an individual you know oh, i should have certain autonomy i don't want i'm not going i don't want to subject myself to you know a very clear kind of uh, even though as you were saying the conditions were totally destroying what you could do with that individual freedom you know so mm -hmm. and, and here you have a proposal for a different intersubjective relationship that is a much more uh is much more ready to confront the difficulties of the present, or at least is trying to do something, you know, that goes uh, against that which destroys, in the name of individual freedom, it destroys any possibility of a future, or, you know, even that freedom, but always with the belief of like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you just have to keep defending your supposed individual autonomy, which is, is becoming impossible to to defend, and I think that's what I love about this documenta. That this documenta is, you know, putting into question in many, many different ways that liberal conception of the individual and of the artist, and you know, the connection between the artist uh, and its production. You know, that's it's like kind of attacking it to the core in, in certain ways, and that. It didn't go well uh, here in Germany, and they use whatever means to definitely, that you know, like um, undermine any possibility of the radical attempts and ways of doing with the claims of antisemitism, which I guess, yeah, you you had to experience it firsthand which uh, it must have been extremely hard and difficult uh, so w were you anticipating already i mean the claims were already coming from january you know so but but like i mean you you live here in in berlin so you know about the anti-deutsche movement but you anticipate i mean to a certain extent you claim that you already knew that it would be a harsh environment so but was it as harsh as you could imagine or was like something like oh this was just crazy <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I I knew that it was going to be a harsh environment because of the scale of it. I didn't anticipate anything else. I mean, I I know the because I'm in Germany and I've had like some um, encounters with anti-Deutsch uh, and also um, uh, I don't know if you remember, but in 2020 there was this. Um, Text zur Kunst um, uh, issue that uh, was uh, actually called uh, anti antisemitism. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like um, it was really, um, um, yeah, it was really, it really shaked uh, a lot of people here. And um, especially that this is when I, I think this is when I started like to be more aware of you know, the, the anti-Deutsch and also like the whole um, uh, politics uh, of, um, yeah, like uh, the so-called left in, uh, in Germany. Um, but also I started to be uh, more aware of um, uh, the, like everything also like that came with that and that allowed that, for example, the anti-BDS motion in parliament and... So I wasn't really, you know, um, aware of all of this when I moved uh, to Berlin. Uh, but then after that issue, everything like started to... Um, actually, after that issue, things exploded um, a bit more. Um, and we started organize with certain artists and friends here to respond to that. So there was already a network of people that were, you know, working against that, which was good. And um, yeah, and we were like a uh, preparing for something without knowing that this is going to explode in such a way uh, during the Documenta. So when the um, Documenta, actually, you know, in May 2021, uh, when was this? No, not 2021. Uh, in, yes, in May 2021, during the uprisings in Palestine, uh, we um, uh, some artists actually wanted to do a uh, an event uh, because there was at the same time uh, uprisings in Colombia. So the collective from Colombia and uh, um, uh, also like uh, some other artists, uh, collective from Palestine and other collectives wanted to do a joint event uh, on Palestine and uh, Colombia. Uh, and so that was cancelled already. They had to cancel it. They didn't allow them to to do it already. So in May. This was in connection to Documenta, like through yeah. Documenta. Okay, okay. And th and this was ah uh, okay. So you had first experience. Okay, already this was already happening. Aha. Uh -huh, okay. Yeah. So the institution, the Documenta GmbH, which is the institution had cancelled that event. So they did not allow it to, to happen. It was an online event. Because as you know, everything um, was taking place online. Um, I mean, still, it was still like a pandemic. So, uh, so yeah. Event, it was supposed to be an online event and even that online event got cancelled. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got cancelled. Um, and so since then... Um, we've been feeling a little bit like a, um, you know, like a, a prepared, not prepared, not completely prepared, not like knowing what's going to come, but um, kind of like expecting um, something, some like a, a resistance. Mm. 
from the institution, from Documenta GmbH. Um, and in January 2022, when this blog, uh, um, yeah, like this Bundesgegen uh, Antisemitismus uh, Castle published the the like blog post, um, and I mean people were still saying, but this is crazy. It's impossible that it will, you know, like a uh, uh, explode in such a way, or like that even like a uh, um, German media pick it up or anything, you know. N no one had like because we were not so prepared to the nastiness of German media. We didn't know that uh, this is going to like a explode in, in such a uh, like a big scale, you know. Um, and we didn't know that actually, like a uh, you know ser serious so-called serious German newspapers will pick it up. It was like crazy how it was picked up and very quickly. And then um, the blog was being updated. Uh, he was adding like more names to the list of uh, anti-Semitic artists and artistic team, etc. Um, but I had the feeling also that we had to self-organize against that because the institution was also, uh, funnily enough, completely unprepared and clueless. This was really like the shock. I mean, the institution should be the one that knows how to deal with the situation and with German media. They should, you know, be prepared at least for that. Maybe just one clarification uh, for the listeners will be interesting because one thing that happened after the last Documenta that supposedly went over budget a lot is that Documenta took power over communication and education. I don't know if other departments. So basically, while previously communication was supposed to be part of the artistic team, in this case it was Documenta which, you know, took... So they didn't have much of a clue yeah like they were and it's not that you could have access to it or artists could actually intervene they because it was part of this struggle to for documenta to take more power or more control okay that's that's very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Mm, but yeah i think that um it really revealed like the whole experience really revealed the fact that this institution uh, crumbled uh, when it met all these, you know, collectives. It completely, like, crumbled. I think the meeting between the institution and the, you know, um, the artistic team and the uh, Lumbung in, in general was a crash, basically. Like a huge political crash uh, and, uh, you know, like a... Uh, uh, aesthetic crash and uh, a uh, crash of the um, understanding of what critique is uh, in the arts as well. Um, because, I mean, from my experience, I also thought that, um, I mean, if the institution is not, you know, like defending or standing by the artistic team and the artists, at least the German establishment and the cultural field and artists should be doing that. And there was like no sign from only like very few support, but really like no sign from, you know, like a German establishment, you know, saying, hey, this cannot go on or like really, really very extremely few support. 
And I think this is because they didn't believe in what was happening artistically as well. Partly, I think, of course, it's the question of anti-Semitism. You don't go there. But also it's because, uh, you know, they knew what they, they, they weren't convinced with what was happening. Um, and I would say like even threatened because a lot of, you know, um, this like a, uh, this establishment, a lot of it, a lot of them is coming really from a very specific mode of critique. That is a um, historically coming from institutional critique, right? So the institutional is really like a uh, embedded in their critique and in the way they think and the way they're like, the, you know, and this institution in particular, this like, this Gegenbeha, you know, this is like the institution maybe they were fighting and at the same time, it's the institution that is forming them as well. So I think it's very difficult to understand that there is another mode of critique, which is not, you know, like going like this with the institution, but just establishing another form. And by establishing another form and another way of doing, that other institution crumbles, you know, or like it's shaken, basically. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with a understanding of what critique is. And it's really like a, um, a, a, a way of doing where, I mean, if you're coming from, um, I don't know, like a, uh, um, an Indonesian context, for example, you're, you don't anyway have that institution to go against. You're like, you know, thinking in a different, completely different way, right, of... Um, and it is this institution that actually produced, you know, this individual artist and historically it has produced this individual artist and has like, you know, worshipped them and, you know, like, uh, you know, put them on a pedestal, their work, etc., their prophecy, you know, their visionary um, thinking, all of that. And this crumbles when you have like a, uh, a collective of uh, for example, Jatiwangi, 100 person who are, you know, actually living and doing art and, you know, like in their uh, village and that's uh, cultural production, right? And in that sense, this is not, th this is kind of like a, uh, yeah, like a um, um, annihilating in a way that uh, production of the, the artist as like the prophet or, and all of that the visionary, the etc. So I think that there was like a, on so many levels a crashes, right? Like a on an aesthetic level, on a level of understanding of art, on a level of understanding what critique is in the arts, on a level of, you know, producing the institution, what it means, you know, actually um, on like a uh, the question of the autonomy of, of, of art, which is central, the question of like uh, so on so many levels and then on the political level, of course, um, because at some point what we felt is that, OK, you think we are um, the artists, uh, meaning the artists like you think that we are like a, have uh, interesting, cute practices uh, that you would like to look at uh, and but you would like us to leave the politics at the door. Yeah, one thing that, um, uh, well, I understood from the previous 
Documenta was the Documenta was at the avant-garde, but at the avant-garde of self-exploitation, of like really just pushing people to uh, work as hard as they can for this special hundred, or in that case it was longer, you know, days. But like the amount of people giving everything just to make this happen, that's like that's quite incredible, and uh, and this also produces the aftermath is kind of brutal. The aftermath on people, everybody, you know, it's just, and nobody is interested or cares about, you know, how damaged these bodies and minds are. And um, and while I really fully appreciate the radicality of this documenta, I can only imagine that that avant-gardeism or that pushing, you know, precisely because it was a much broader scale, you know, a thousand and five hundred people and like that this was even intensified that people got uh, so yeah i wanted to ask you about the you know how how is the aftermath and like whether you have time to digest and recover and like or is it still you know because i must be honest it took me four years to start to feel a bit better and i didn't go through all this mayhem that happened with the anti-semitism accusations and the whole german media viciously attacking you mentioned this before about being rude. Uh, could you explain that? Like the rudeness in relation to welcoming the artists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, also like the um, because of this budget restriction in this documenta, the director refused to hire more people. But it was only like, you know, I don't know, maybe like a, I don't know, 50,000 euro more or like 100,000 euro more, which is nothing for them, really nothing, because they make so much money on tickets and sales. And they, she refused to hire more people. And it was catastrophic. I mean, you could see it the, at the preview. Right after the opening, everyone collapsed. Every single person collapsed. Every single person that works at Documenta collapsed. And, uh, I mean, everyone had COVID also. Uh, and uh, the offices were empty. Like, the, you couldn't see anyone anymore in the offices. But it was like a, a, a collective uh, collapse, basically. Um, so imagine what they... And, I mean, I have friends that were working in... Um, there in the public program and as curatorial assistants and they were like a uh, working from uh, i don't know um, maybe like uh, eight in the morning until 3 a.m 2 a.m and you know i mean at the end they pay them like i don't know a little bit more or whatever but the, it's nothing compared to the amount of work and the amount of like a and all of this to be honest is that they did not accept to hire more people. They could have hired a few more people for with a little bit more money, but they were like with this uh, budget thing. So this was like another thing that's like, oh my God, really um, infuriating. Um, and I think like everyone has a kind of a burnout. I mean, I see from my friends that were working in the office, some of them moved back to Berlin because they went only for that and the, and they are like a uh, in a another zone, and I think like you need 
I don't know, maybe, I don't know, a year or I don't know how, how long, especially with this kind of a, uh, attacks. And, and as you said, like, no one cares about that. Like, really, no one, uh, you know, cares about that. But I think that what, uh, what I feel at the moment is that um, in, because of this Lumbung thing, um, and because of the relationships that have been built since, you know, two years and more until now. Um, and because at the end, everyone was kind of united. I think people had energy. It's weird. It's a very weird, you know, like a, um, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing that a weird phenomena that, happens I mean it's not weird it's really like you understand somehow the power of being together in such a, a, a situation um, and as cheesy as it sounds it's real that when you feel this kind of support and you feel like a mass kind of a, uh, a resistance and support something happens actually so the the damage is distributed of course, like unequally, but it's like for some people more than others, but there is a distribution of the damage. So you're not like really, you know, dealing with it alone. Um, and I think this is quite fantastic. Also, you know, like a lot of, for example, in terms of collectives and art production, a lot of um, works and artworks started in Documenta and continue. And I think this is quite um a more like a, uh, a kind of normal process of working. It's not like you have to, you know, work. I mean, you, of course, like have to do that. But uh, the whole spirit of, uh, you know, like a uh, being more in the process than the product and the object already like uh, has alleviated a little bit the the pressure on you know like the the opening day or or something um so i think that all of these things are um quite good to take into uh, consideration also as a learning um experience now in terms of like digesting the whole thing and the um yeah i mean this is this takes time also like how much it stimulates uh, stimulates you um, in terms of like really thinking about ways of working and you know like structures and you know like ways of doing things in, in terms of like also you know processes how much it stimulates you um, I think that will take like a very very uh, long time to, to start to really understand and uh, um but definitely it does give a lot as well. I mean, in this case, it did give a lot because of all the conversations, the people you met, the way it was structured around these assemblies. We would meet every other week. Um, so, you know, and also like during the bigger assembly. So all of that, it gives a lot. And I have to say also, it did give a kind of a lesson in politics as well that because it's such like a big scale thing i don't think i've ever like been confronted to uh, um yeah like a, uh, a a political 
battle in the cultural field um, in that way. Um, and so close to, 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 to politics in, in, that, in that way. So, um, so yeah, so I think that um, it's, you learn a lot also from, you know, how to like actually deal with politics. And, um, and there was like a, um, at the end, because we wrote the statement, um, so people were kind of less frustrated so there was a kind of a response at the end. So I think people were less frustrated that, okay, we leave at least with a response. We're not like just... Uh, um, so yeah, I don't know. It is a um, at the same time quite um, hard to process at the moment, uh, but also very stimulating and... I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I mean, also like in the forums that we are continuing, the working groups and all of that. Um, yeah, I think it's quite um, quite something. But for sure, I don't want to deal with something like this again. <laughs> you know, it's not that I would be excited to, <laughs> to deal with something like, like this like this again.